total truth. No, 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 no. See the way society is built today, like a trap. It's built in a way that keeps you in the dark. Cause if your light shines through, you might figure out who and what you are. A magnificent being. Don't be scared of that. Do not be scared. That's why I'm here to help you remember the powers within. Hi, welcome everyone to episode two of um, Brown and Spiritual AF. I am Isela Garcia and we, uh, Mark is with me. Say hi, Mark. Well, hello, everybody. Mark Sanchez right here again. Number two, spiritual AF. Oh, can't forget the brownness. Yeah, <laughs> the brownness is an important part of this. Yeah, it's a very important part. What we were talking about recently after our last episode was our experiences with authority. And in our conversations, we, we really kind of, it, it, let, it went into the direction of talking about our experience with police officers. I think given the state of what's happening in the world today, particularly in the United States, um, you know, the brutality that's happened. And one of the things that I, I just finished talking with Mark about is this institutionalized racism. Like, you know, our society is built on power, right? White culture, dominant culture is the one in power and in control. And one of the things that happens to us, um, you know, uh, black indigenous people of color, um, we learn and it's like we don't even think about it, I think. We learn sort of what we need to do to survive, to survive those circumstances. And so, Mark, I thought your stories, because, you know, I think that you did that. You knew what to do when you got into trouble. And I want you to share some of your experiences about how many times, because you, you really did a lot of shit, <laughs> right? And so you start sharing some of your stories about your run-in with the police. Ooh, running with the po-po, right? Um, <laughs> let, let, first off, let's just get this out the way. I am not proud of this, but for the purposes of sharing stories and how it unfolded, they're amazing, right? Because where, 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 I, where I come from, we grew up hating the police, right? right. It's when NWA's F the police was out and it was a big thing, right? Anytime we had to run in with the police, we were taught to, to run and stand guard and be scared of the big bad wolf, right? Let um, me stop you there. I still have that. Ooh. To this day, I still get um, a little, like almost like I'm doing something wrong. Like I, and like, yeah, like basically my existence is wrong. Now, intellectually, I get that that's ridiculous, right? Yeah. But because it was a pattern growing up where I did, it, police was like, oh, you know, you avoided them at all costs. And it wasn't because they weren't there. Yeah, they weren't there to protect us. They were there to harm us. That was the perception. Yeah, and it's funny when you, you brought that up. As soon as you brought that up, I felt that. Like, yeah. they're not even right here right now, but just the word police, you look <laughs> around, right? You just like, right. hey, in our hood, we call them the Huda. I think that's what the word was, yeah. right? And, yeah. um, it, it's it's really really cool because I took one time right um, to interact with the police. So for whatever reason, I've had a well. I know why I've had a lot of run-ins with the cops, going in with gangs and dealing drugs and that kind of stuff, and being in a neighborhood where you're there's nothing to do but do bad stuff, right? Um, for whatever reason, I understood that 
authority, the police, right? I learned to choose my battles quickly and easily, right? So when the police pulled me over or when the police interacted with us, let's just say, for instance, one time I got pulled over, we're in high school, right? And we're smoking a joint and it's like a Friday night, we're all out. There's like five of us in this car, we're cruising down this road and then we seen this cop just flip a bitch, right? And we said, oh shit, he's coming after us. We throw the joint out the window and we roll down the window and trying to air it out, but it, there, there's not enough time to let the smoke out. And then of course the cop pulls us over and says, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Who's smoking the weed? We're like, no, we're not smoking the weed. He's like, I'm getting high just standing here, right? And we're going through this dialogue back and forth. And finally, for whatever reason, my buddy, right? My buddy is on, um, he, he's supposed to be on like parole. He's on something, something. He, he wants to get out and run. I tell him, no, stay right here. We're going to get away with this. I don't know how, but we're going to, right? So after this long time of um, this little back and forth dialogue, the police like, man, you guys just going to be truthful with me or not? I said, you know what? I'll take one for the team. Officer, I got the marijuana. It's on me. Get out, the, get out the car real quick. What's your name? Mark, Mark Sanchez. Where's the marijuana? It's in my shoe. Why is it in your shoe? Well, because I'm trying to hide it from you, fool. What do you mean? <laughs> why, why is it in my shoe? You know, I just keep it in there, you know, and it makes it stronger. Um, but anyhow, you know, I mean, we're in a situation where there's four other brown guys in the car, right? Uh, along with me and the police pulled us over. We were smoking weed. You could smell it. He gets it on me, right? I give him, and we're in Arizona. This is a no tolerance state at the time, right? right. This is 20, 1999, 2000, right? Um, long story short, at the end of the day, at the end of the night, after going through this 30 minute process of talking to us and checking out the car, make sure we didn't have any other weapons or drugs or whatnot, he said at the end of the thing, at the end of the whole ordeal, what did you guys learn tonight? And of course, everybody says, don't do drugs, right? But he was <laughs> like, no, don't fucking lie to the police, <laughs> right? So I guess growing up, I just learned to cooperate, right? A lot of people would say that cooperation was basically giving away your rights. However, I know because of my intelligence, right? My street smarts, that in that moment, I am not going to be able to... Um, to overthrow the police, right? And they're used to people acting out, right? They're used to us talking smack and doing whatever, being disgruntled. Um, when somebody's actually approaches them politely, even though in the process of doing something that they shouldn't be doing, and I should have went to jail and I had an opportunity to get thrown on the ground and guns pulled out and beat up, whatever, it tricked their brain, right? Because their mentality tells them, their training tells them that we're going to be on the offensive, right? Or very defensive, but when you approach them in a sense where they don't know how to react, they just say, you know what, off to the next. So that has been a lot of my encounters with the police, right? <laughs> so you learned, I mean, basically you're saying what, you know, my husband's black. So it's a conversation that we have. We don't have a black boy, we do have a daughter. And I, you know, we've talked about the conversations that his father had with him about having to protect himself you know anytime he's ever pulled over like this is where you keep your hands you know you don't make any sudden moves it's like these are the rules you have to play by to stay alive now what you're describing to me is a little bit of that you're saying that you know i've learned that instead of being defensive that if i can be um you know <laughs> if i can not push back not be an asshole not come off as arrogant or whatever and do what i'm told then, you know, then we're playing nicely with the police. But let's say for a moment, if you didn't have weed on you, let's say that you were accused of it, like what, 
I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, well, I, there are a couple things there. I, why do you think outside of that experience, or what did you learn from that experience, I guess is my, my question to you. What I learned from the experience is one, I guess, um, ooh, yeah, because there's a lot of different reasons, right? What if I got pulled over and I didn't have anything and then what I felt some type of way from being pointed out, right? But right. growing up, I was always pointed out in some type of way, right? I was always quiet. I never played with other kids. So I always got maybe picked on in that way, right? Um, in class, right? For whatever reason, the teacher would always find a way to single me out. I didn't like to read out loud, right? Well, why don't you like to read out loud? It's not that I wasn't smart. I just didn't, like, I just felt uncomfortable in that situation. So I think there has been times where we, um, let's just say for one instance, we got pulled over by the police because there was a robbery in the area and we happened to be riding in a color Supreme, which was a maroon color, but the, the, it was actually supposed to be a Regal, right? That was red. And um, they, they look very similar, you know what I mean? 1981, 1982, these, all these cars look alike. So of course, 10 cops surround us, SWAT's out there, AR-15 shotguns, get out the car, put your hands out the window, blah, 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 right? And we're like, holy shit, what's going on right now? Wrongfully accused, right? Right. Did everything they said, face down on the pavement, hands behind it back, asking us 20 million questions. And let me tell you, this shit is scary. It really is. Um, but because of the of always being singled out for whatever reason, always put me in a calm state, right? I knew that, I guess I learned that from my mom. If my mom was trying to yell at me, cause she's authority, right? We're talking about authority figures, right? And I learned that if I fought my mom back, she was just gonna get tougher, right? Mm -hmm. But if I could play along, right? If I could go with the flow, go with the grain instead of against it, let me tell you, she's gonna stop yelling a lot sooner. She's gonna get over her pissed offness a lot sooner. And then I could go back and play my mother loving video games, right? And, <laughs> and, and, and in that sense, the, the, the police with authority figures, it was no different, right? It was just a different person wearing that uniform. It was just a different person wearing that hat, right? My mom was the police in the house. The police are the, are the police in the street, right? So I guess that's that that that's that's where I was able to um, really learn to engage with the police in a different way, learn how to respond in a different way versus react. Right? I didn't know where that came from. It will kind of just I, I really don't know to tell you the truth. I had an incident that happened. I was probably about twenty or twenty one. I was uh, had just driven back from Vegas, and I had um, an old Toyota Celica with a hatchback, and so I had. <laughs> yeah, I had um, my suitcases were in the back and I had a couple, I think I had my laundry and stuff back there. I was um, actually a student at Arizona State at the time. And so I was making my way back to Tempe and um, which is was about, about 30 minutes from where I was at the time I was in my neighborhood. And um, and so I had just driven back my back, my trunk, my hatchback was completely full and my and the cops pulled me over. And I was driving in the neighborhood. And so I wasn't going fast. Um, I do have a, a tendency to, I'm a speed demon, but I was not, I was in the neighborhood. I wasn't driving very fast. And, um, and I don't even remember them giving me a reason why they pulled me over. I just remember that the street that they pulled me over on was dark because the lights had been out. They, like, you know, it was just a dark street. There was like one street light that was further up the road. So really we were in the dark. It was probably about 11 o'clock at night. 
they asked me to get out of the car. There were two, I mean, pretty big, burly police officers, men. And um, I remember thinking they can do pretty much anything to me at this moment. And I wouldn't, I, there's nothing I could do about it. I, that was like my first thought. Again, that comes from, you know, the fear of growing up. I grew up in, you know, the south side of Phoenix where, you know, that, that idea of police officers, you know, terrified me. And so here I am in this dark street being pulled over in the middle of the night. I don't even remember the reason why they pulled me over. Maybe it was like a, a light out where the license plate was. I mean, it was like this stupid reason. They had me get out the car. I had to sit on the curb and um, actually, they had me stand there and were interrogating me for quite some time. They had me sit on the curb while they, ch they, they took all my shit out of my car. They opened up the suitcase and started searching my suitcases. Oh. And I was sitting there by my, like completely alone. And this was before cell phones. It was before all of that. I really, I was terrified. I was young. I had no idea and felt absolutely completely powerless. And I didn't know the law. I didn't know that they didn't have the right to do that because I had grown up thinking, hell, police come in, they search your house. It just is what it is, you know? Um, and so that, that was something that at such, I would say at a, at a young age, um, something that really sort of, you know, terrified me. Yeah, you're right. The police do just come in. I, we've had growing up, that was it. It happened on a few occasions in our household, right? The police knock on the door, there's a warrant or whatever, and they just come in and start searching shit, right? And I've, unfortunately, I've, I've had, well, maybe not unfortunately, maybe that was great because it, it, it showed me growing up, even though I was really young and probably shouldn't remember this kind of stuff, but when the police are going through your closets and looking for your dad or whatnot, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it kind of teaches you, but to be put in those types of situations is... It's really interesting because people act different, right? Especially like in the classroom, right? With authority, mm -hmm. right? I, I used to be really disruptive. However, I was disruptive in an intellectual way, right? Um, I, I raised my hand a lot. So the teacher would always be like, you know what? Anybody other than Mark want to have a comment, right? You know, um, but then you have friends that will push the envelope, friends that think they know the law, right? So there were times where we would get, we would, get picked out by the police walking down the street, right? Of course, because we're young or we're in middle school. And I think about like little sixth, seventh graders walking down the street in the middle of the night, right? Of course the police are gonna stop us, say, where are you guys going? Well, then you get this one badass friend that wants to be like cowboy, right? And starts mounting off and it's like, mother lover, they have no reason to pick on us. But now because you're opening your mouth, they're gonna wanna search you. They're gonna ask where you've been. They're gonna, you know what I mean? Then they're gonna go tell our parents. But right. because this person, did that right it, it, it was it was really amazing um what happens when you have one disruptive friend right and the police are gone then more cops come right well half the time the one that was disruptive would get held off the rest of us will just be let go right mm -hmm. they would just let us go and we thought like to ourselves like is that messed up that we didn't stick up for him or is it messed up that he almost got us all in trouble <laughs> right you know what I mean? And that's still part of that. It, it I, I, when, when people say that they are wrongfully accused or they're um, abused or they're pointed out by the police, there's been plenty of times where I've been pulled over and exactly for no reason at all. However, I never use that against the police, right? Excuse me, sir, do you know why we pulled you over? I'm like, actually, I really don't know why you pulled me over. 
well, so-and-so X, Y, Z. I didn't stress the fact I had license insurance. I had, I wanted to get to where I needed to go. So I just said, for whatever reason, you wanted to pull me over because I was Mexican. Okay, whatever. That doesn't bug me. Right. In that situation, I'm not triggered by that. You Mm -hmm. see, so maybe that has been the difference throughout my experiences with the popo. Yeah. You know, it's, I think there's so many different perspectives. I, you know, another story with my husband, you know, again, this was before cell phones. He, I had paged him back in the day when we had paged him. A lot of those stories from you. Yeah. So we had, we, I had paged him and he was at, um, at the Waffle House. And so he went outside uh, to call me back. And um, I, in the background, I heard sirens and I heard sirens and cars stopping very quickly. I mean, I literally heard like, like if you could hear it, but you know, guns drawn, telling him to freeze. And I'm like, what is happening? Well, there was an incident that occurred up the street and um, you know, he was black and they were searching for a man who was black. My husband's five nine, uh, who they were searching for was six foot or taller. And so he didn't fit the description, like not even in the least, but they still, they had him at gunpoint, they had him on the ground, they detained him. Um, and that wasn't the first time that that had happened. And so, but I was, you know, sort of present in that experience, sort of hearing that and how terrifying that was. I, I think that, and if you knew my husband, um, he is the most laid back, easygoing, and he's not at all going to, um, you know, push the envelope at all. He's not going to go off. He's not going to get aggressive. Um, but I think that one of the things that, that, and the reason why I think this conversation is important for us to have, because I do believe that, um, you know, not I believe, we know this to be true, that our institutions, including the police, are built on uh, systems of power. It is built on systems of power, and those of us, people of color, have been perceived as rapists, savages, um, criminals, and that in, that continues to be pushed out, whether it be in television, our social media, now how quickly things can can be pushed across all platforms across the world. Um, But when we look at even the boarding schools, right, with the Native Americans, it was like we're taking the children away because these savages cannot take care of their own children. And so we're going to make them white. We're going to cut because white is perceived as the dominant culture. And I think that in the spiritual community, there's this perception that, oh, but we're all one. It's that whole, you know, that whole, um, you know, what is the all lives matter? It's like, but we're all one. We all love each other. But you don't understand what it's like. You can't understand what it's like to show up every day and you can't escape the color of your skin. It is, in, and, and I don't want to either, but I want you to recognize that my brownness, who I, that is a part of who I am. That's a part of my identity. And so having said that, we also have to recognize that our country particularly is built on centuries of oppression. It is. Big time, you know, big time and it's, where, where, where do we start recognizing that? Like, so what were you, what you were saying right now, it, it brought up an idea. It brought up tactics that these people are trained to do, right? They're right. trained to trigger that instinct in us. You know what I mean? I feel like when the police pull you over, they're trying to instigate you to do some shit, right? They want you to, and they're triggering because they know they have the authority, right? And yeah. so I guess at a really quick age, 
I understood what was happening and I didn't allow them to bring me into that arena, right? Because the minute I jump into that arena, there's no winning for me, right? right? So I had to outsmart them, right? And sometimes in our neighborhoods, outsmarting them looks like weakness, right? Right. Compliance looks like weakness, but is it really in the long run, right? I just saved myself from getting a ticket and I saved that police officer from maybe roughing me up a little bit and getting in trouble. And then if that happens in my neighborhood, people are going to be up in arms, right? But for whatever reason, those moments of it happening to me, I didn't realize what was going on until about now, right? We want to tie this into spirituality. It was a higher intelligence popping in saying, hey, be the change you like to see in the neighborhood, right? And I wasn't able to tie that until now, right? And it does, and it sucks because I still got brown brothers and brown sisters that are out there and the neighborhoods that are getting targeted and they're not um, equipped with the emotional intelligence that I happen to be with, right? And so these conversations are very, very, very important. So it gets back to those communities to say, wait a minute, there's another way to respond to this right? Because it's not going to go away. You know what I'm saying? But I think that's the issue, Mark. I think the issue is that I think there are some, there's this pretend, this falsity, I think, of trying to to retrain police officers or any uh, authority sort of figure, but police officers are the one that I think about, um, that, that to retrain that mentality that instead of being reactive and trying to um, you know, attack a person or make an assumption or, you know, the things that occur when you're being interrogated, um, but rather coming from a place of uh, being responsive to where the person you are communicating with, that, that they are, there's conversations, we call this trauma-informed, that there's trauma, what happens when we are in that state of trauma, that our thinking becomes, um, that we're unable to think clearly. Um, we can often do that fight or flight, so sometimes people are reactive when they're in that state. And so I think there's conversations about how to be better response or respond better in situations like that. But I think it pisses me off that we're the ones, the people of color, those black indigenous people of color are the ones that we've got to go, oh, we have to figure out how to appease them so that we're not killed. You know, like that's the shit that needs to change. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, that's really interesting too, because you use the word savages, right? So right. imagine like when we read our history books, it was a native American that was a savage, right? However, you're not telling the whole story of why we became savage like, right? When you come through and you try to wipe out a whole culture with raping and pillaging, right? Burning down, cutting their hair off and shit like that. Of course, we're gonna turn a little vicious, right? People, pit bulls get a bad name all the time, right? But these pit bulls are bred in order to go and fight, right? And here we are trying to unravel history and trying to, it does, it sucks because we're playing from behind. We're playing from a disadvantage, right? Because of the color of our skin, right? So people could hear and sit and listen to this um, podcast. And if we didn't say it was brown and spiritual AF, you know what I mean? They would take it in a totally different way. However, but because we are brown and spiritual AF, now our brown community could take our words and feel more empowered by them. So, so even, well, I, I guess let's make this bridge then, you know, let's, let's create the bridge around spirituality. So, you know, 
what does that mean for us? What do your experiences with authority, how did that play into your, did it, did it even play into your spiritual growth and development? Was there an influence there? I, I think so. Um, Cause we have this thing called intuition, right? It's a gut feeling. You know right. what I mean? There's been times where um, being, for instance, one time the police um, come and knock on the door, my aunt lets them in. I'm in the backyard and I'm getting a haircut and it's summertime, right? And the lady's like, hey, Mr. Sanchez, is that you? I'm like, yeah, hey, there's two officers in the house with your aunt. I'm like, what? Uh, we will have asked you a few questions. And I'm like, oh, shit, there's all kinds of things going through my mind, right? Well, I go in, they want to search the house for drugs because, well, yes, I am dealing with drugs. However, um, they, 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 they were baiting me, right? They were trying to come in. And because I was nice, cool, calm, and collective, I had a gut. My natural feeling was like, hey, get the fuck out. But my aunt already let them in, right? And I wanted to be disgruntled and I wanted to be... I wanted to be that annoyance, right? You have no right, go get yourself a warrant, blah, blah, blah. But my aunt was already there. So I had two, I had to fight them. I had two authority figures in the house, right? My aunt let them in. She was like, tell them where the drugs are, blah, whatever. She, my aunt would always turn us in. You could always count on that, right? <laughs> but I had a gut feeling, right? I had this instinct that said, slow down, relax, guide them to what they want. They don't know what you have, but guide them to what they think they want, right? And so I did. I guided them upstairs. I got into my little, little, drawer that I had. I had a couple of joints in there and it was just personal stuff. The other things were hidden inside the bedroom, but because I was, I listened to my gut feeling, guided them to what they thought they were looking for, right? It escalated the whole situation. And then went back downstairs and like, did you find what you were looking for? And I was kind of being sarcastic in a way. It's like, ha you're going to go back and you thought you were going to get this big old bust and you're going back with an apple and a foil pipe and a couple of seeds. Good job, buddy, right? I was being a douchebag. But when I think about it now, it was that instinct, right? That natural gut intuition feeling saying, hey, there's something to be learned here. Stay cool, calm, and collective in this situation, right? I had an inside tip. My mom would call me sometimes, right? And um, she'd always say, he'll be careful. One day I was at school, got a call at lunch, right? I normally have a certain amount of sacks on me. Mijo, be careful, something, I don't know, I just got a bad feeling. Oh, really, mom? Okay. I listened. Got rid of the stuff that I needed to get rid of. She got it off me. What I didn't know was three of my people were already in police custody, right? Already in police custody. They were waiting for me to get to my next class because I was on lunch. But because I was tipped off by my mom, she just had a bad feeling, right? We'll call it a bad feeling. I listened. I learned to listen to those and said, you know what? I'm not, here we go. So by the time it got to me, I was clean. So that's where that spirituality, I guess you could kind of say, people could call it a gut feeling. It was your intuition, but those are the types of feelings. Those are the types of things that kept me in line in those moments of chaos, I guess you could say. Okay, so I'm just going to ask you this then. So do you think that, okay, so this is your, you're calling it your intuition kind of let you in on being aware that something could be going down, right? Yeah. It's like your intuition is that. Is that... So would you say that intuitively, like, I don't know, Archangel Michael is out there saying, hey, you're about to get busted. <laughs> don't do that. Like, what would be the intent of that, do you think? What would be the reason behind that? You know, um, depending, because there's so many different ways you could look at this, right? Because is what I'm doing, is it really bad? You know what I mean? I was making a living. I learned, I was an entrepreneur, basically, right? And what I was selling, <laughs> was it really... <laughs> Oh, you're selling weed? Was, well, is that all you were selling? Was weed? Yeah, weed. Yeah. yeah, at that time in life, yes. It was only marijuana, right? 
So was is it really <laughs> that time in life? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but these special upon decades, right? Is that time right. in life? So, but to think about this, like, was what I what was I doing really bad, right? Compared to the alcohol, compared to the nicotine, compared to the the um the pharmaceutical drugs that are out there, people are addicted to. On a smaller scale, was what I was doing really that bad, or was it bad for the establishment? Was it bad for the authority telling me it was illegal to do that, right? Right. But I was I was practicing business without a license. Okay, if I'm guilty of that, then fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> Other than that, what I was doing was totally natural, right? But yes, Archangel Michael, um, whoever, God, you know what I mean? My ancestors, you know what I mean? The ones that were raped and murdered on that probably very land here in the desert of Arizona, right? Tip me off, or they tip my mom off, and then my mom tipped me off because they knew I wasn't gonna listen to that shit. I'd be like, man, I'm hearing things. I can't, I gotta stop smoking my shit, right? But because my mom relayed the information over to me, it was enough for me to say, whew, not today, right? Not today. And then what? So like how many times, like, did this ever go anywhere? Obviously it did, because I'm going to make a guess that you're probably not dealing right now. Um, <laughs> but I'm not even <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? You just move to like supplements that are healthy for you, right? It's just, they call it network marketing nowadays, okay? okay right, right, right. <laughs> so, little marketing. What is the, what do you believe then is, how, like how did this long-term impact maybe tapping into your intuition, um, listening to that within, making different choices? Like what other things happened in your life as a result of this intuitive connection that you felt early on? Okay, so like, for instance, right, it's a feeling, right? So when my mom called me, I got that feeling. It's just like a gut feeling. Like, you just feel it settle in your stomach, and it doesn't feel great, right? You know what I mean? There's a time where things happen, and you're excited, and it's happening. It's like, oh, this is, this is great. This feels good. And then there's that one that's like a little lower vibration, and you're just like, oh, this doesn't feel like, like an upset stomach. Like, you just drank milk that was spoiled, right? Right. Well, later on in life, I... I I started correlating the feelings I would get to the things that would happen, right? So I, there would be things where I'm like, you get that little voice in your head that says, maybe you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But you're like, ah, what could go wrong? And you do it anyways, right? And then somebody hits your car, right? Or you get pulled over by the police or, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, somebody's going to relay bad information over to you, right? And you've got this like anxiety feeling, your t- chest tightens up. Well, that's, I relate that over to, okay, maybe I'm about to make a bad decision. Maybe something is about to happen. Maybe I should be a little more aware, right? It's like a silent whisper. And so I learned to really pay attention to that for whatever reason. It could be in the middle of the movie theater at a time. And then I get this weird feeling, right? I'm like, oh, what happened? And then my mama call and say, hey, so-and-so went to prison or so-and-so got shot or so-and-so, you know what I mean? And so it's, it helped me make different decisions later on down the road, right? Yeah, I have that. I have that same kind of thing that I always had, um, and I, you know, I think everyone does. I think everyone does. I think we just we tend to ignore it um, or bypass it. It's like, and sometimes we're so disconnected. I think from our emotions, like what we're experiencing, discomfort, pain, sadness. I think particularly boys and men, um, boys who become men are not given permission to feel when they're little. 
And so it's like, you know, you better stop that crying. You know, you're, you're, what are you, a baby, you know? Um, and so what happens is I think men, little boys get older, they become more and more disconnected from their emotional state of being. And I think that that emotion, what you described, the gut, something in my stomach, something just, you know, there was something happening within my body that I knew was triggering an emotion within me. Just recognizing that, I think a lot of folks don't know how to do. There's a disconnect um, because we, the pattern of behavior is to be disconnected. And it's, you know, drinking. I mean, there are lots of things we do to distract ourselves from feeling. And, you know, drinking, smoking, um, shopping, um, you know, tons of things that keep us disconnected from that, I think, intuitive nature that we have. Definitely. Like growing up, especially for me, I was always, you know, I had a brother, right? And he would pick on me a lot. And I had to learn to get tough. And I didn't want to have to fight back. And that's another thing in my life. My dad picked on me a lot too. Oh, you little girl, you little sissy, right. la la. Because I was emotional growing up, right? That was my natural state. But I got hardened to that drug dealing gangster, right? I didn't want to be that, but that's what I was molded into. And I could play the part well, right? That allowed me to sell um dangerous drugs later on in life to my friends right because i was disconnected from that feeling i learned to cover it up right and that was years and years of being stepped on and telling i was no good and a little girl and really covering those emotions up right and it, and it was very destructive because then it made it made my masculinity um toxic right, right. And, and and it made me want to be bigger than other people right and then i became the authority figure within my um gang per se within my drug dealing community right because then now i now i ruled with fear now i became the police right like you better hope somebody calls the police before i get over there right now the police became the savior because there's dangerous other mother lovers out there right you start getting into these cartels you better hope the police get you and put you in jail because you got other sharks that are out here right so we we we, we use the same authority within our own communities but when somebody's wearing a badge it's different right Right. We're out in the streets killing each other by the dozens easily and selling each other drugs daily, right? My People's mom's house getting shot at, right? And those are the police in those neighborhoods. That's the authority figure flexing their muscles in that neighborhood, but it's okay if it's brown or brown. But the minute a blue uniform comes in and does it and only happens to shoot one because I got disgruntled and I gave him a reason to shoot me, now we're all up in arms, right? And it's one of those things where it's like, holy smokes, hold on. How do I make a difference? Well, I made the difference not by preaching, but by um, tapping into those emotions, right? Using the intuition, saying, hey, Mark, you know what? You lived the life. You made it far enough. You don't see old drug dealers, right? All the gangbangers are either in prison or they're um, disabled, right? Because they've been shot, they've been stabbed. And so that intuition was slowly speaking to me by having things worse and worse happen and saying, hey, look, it's just gonna get worse. You, how many times are you gonna dodge this bullet, right? How many times can you get shot before the fatal blow is taken, right? How many chances you got? And because of that intuition, the many times my mom called me or that gut feeling came in, I was like, okay, hold on. I didn't, I didn't have to fall out and get shot in the head before I had my awakening, right? I didn't have to um, lose a limb or whatnot out in the street or whatever, but it, it, it that it's always you're right it's always there but we're not aware we're not listening to it 
And I just thought to myself, wow, I've been way too lucky a lot of my life to make it to where I am at right now, 38 years old on this planet. And I came from the 509 Wapa to Washington, where mother lovers are still there doing the same shit and never changed. Mm-hmm. I'm not that statistic now. I'm here having this conversation with you and says, okay, how do we help this world evolve into a happier, more loving, compassionate place? And it's like this is by having these conversations and bringing awareness to our communities. So you said something that I want to kind of jump on. Um, it was early, earlier when you were talking about when you were little, you said something about you being, um, the word I'm going to use is sensitive. Yes. You were sensitive as a little boy. I think that there are so many, particularly today, so many of our boys coming in as sensitive who feel emotion because they're empathic. That's really what's happening is that they're super empathic and they feel things. And so I think that just you in terms of who you are, you were empathic. And I think that you are empathic, but as a young child, that's what the sensitivity was. And the thing about this is that because you said this in the story about the police officer, and then you said it again, where you learned how to basically adapt based on situations so you like with your mom or with the you know the folks you were running with or you know the cops it's like you learned how to adapt and be what other people needed you to be in order to survive like that that is emotional intelligence it's the awareness of that but the fact that you were able to do that and then be able to come from that right and be able to say you know I, I think it's a skill set. It's a skill set that, um, unfortunately, a lot of us have to learn to adapt to because given our situation, this is going to be another topic in another session, but it's that where where do you need to be more Mexican? Where do you need to be less Mexican, right? It's like, where do I need to show up and be more white so that I can get what needs to be done, right? Yes. And yeah. so learn to adapt based on our circumstances. And I think that we come to a place, at least I have in my life, where I'm done adapting. Like, this is who I am. And and I guess this moves me more into that spirituality perspective is who am I really? And how do I show up in that presence every single day? Like, and not have to make those adaptations based on, you know, to please others. Yeah, that is that is a very, very great thing to start to recognize, right? Like, when am I being who I think you want me to be, right? We right. do that in relationships. We do that at school. We do, I did it in gangs, right? Yeah. I didn't want to be big, bad, scary wolf, but I knew for survival methods, for survival, I had to be that, right? That wasn't fun. That's not cool, like, pointing out people to go get beat up, right? That's not awesome. That's not... This, this, you know what I mean? It wasn't cool firing people when I was authority and a management and then I could just pick on people just because but that was was expected of me, right? That's not cool, man. And, and to tie it all in, like just think about this emotional intelligence said, I used to think that I lacked emotional intelligence, right? But I only lack emotional intelligence within a um, romantic relationship. But when you when, when we start to reverse engineer my life and how I knew, right? <laughs> when I start to reverse engineer my life and start to just know how I would adapt in those certain scenarios, who the hell taught me that? Where did that come from, right? Here I am, 10 years old, understanding how to, in a sense, like I don't like to use this word, but manipulate my mom, right? Or 
to, to go with the flow or to give them, how did I know to give them what they wanted in order for me to, to come out a winner also? Like I didn't have a lot of encounters with the cops, but when I started having them, how did I know? You know what I mean? Where did that, where did that information come from? Where in the matrix did I pull from? Where in the quantum field did I pull from that had a reservoir of information that I was able to tap into unconsciously, right? Think about what I'm able to do now that I'm conscious about it. Yeah. Ooh, it's a whole other skill set, right? I, you know, how I can relate to that is that one of the things that I've been really, really successful at is um, creating change within me. And this is something it, I think years had gone by, you know, and I was repeating the cycle of just, um, you know, I grew up in a home where that was disruptive, that was abusive. There was lots of depression. There was lots of um, sabotaging your happiness. It was a, just this pattern of just misery. And when I left home, I literally left home with the shirt on my back and I was like, okay, I'm going to be different. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, change my life. And, but what happened as a result of my experiences as a child is that I started to repeat the very same things that I said I wasn't going to do. And, um, and it was, you know, in terms of neuroscience, we recognize that the patterns that we've experienced are, you know, basically, you know, the connections in the brain. And so you have to basically rewire your brain. And um, I remember when I was first, this was before we knew a lot about neuroscience. And so I remember just simply trying to change behavior and really focusing on how can I be different? Cause I don't want to be like my mom. That's who was abusive to me as a child. I didn't want to be her. And I was already in my relationship with my husband um, from a very young age. And so I could see those patterns within our relationship where I was starting to sabotage it, where I was starting to withhold love, where I was starting to manipulate the situations, where I was doing all of those behaviors that I grew up with. And I knew that I couldn't, whether it was him or someone else, that that wasn't the way to have a relationship. And so what happened was I was, I would learn something, I would read something, I would um, go to a workshop or a training or go to therapy and they're like, you know, do these things. And I was like, okay, I'll do these things. And I so badly wanted to let go of the things that were getting in the way of my happiness. And my, I had a very, really good friend of mine, I used to have really low tolerance for people who are in the same shit. And I know a lot of people who are in the same shit 10 years later, bitching about the same shit. I'm like, you know, do something about it. Stop just bitching about it. And she said to me, Isela, you're the anomaly. You're the, like the fact that you can move through so quickly and create new patterns. And I have to tell you, Mark, one of the things that I learned early on as a child is that I had faith that I can't, can't even describe to you where that came from within me. It's like, I had this, faith or this belief that something was there to help me protect me and make things happen for me. And, and I couldn't articulate that. It was a feeling. I couldn't articulate it. And so as the years have progressed, even at my age, I'm leading groups. Like, you know, I lead the course of love group. I've been doing that for like eight years. You know, the person who was leading it before was like 76 years old. And it's like, it's weird. It's just a long way to go then. Right. <laughs> So it's that I'm able to move through things and I can't explain why or how. Yeah, you know, that why or how, it, you, you, it, it's, it's really cool that you say that because um, I've always been like just adventurous, right? Like people would say, how are you able to just do that? It's like, I don't know, because 
a part of me is just not that fearful, right? I'm just really not that fearful. And and I there's just I just got this knowing of doing things. For a minute, let me tell you, it was rocky, right? I I, I went down a slippery slope and However, that, that part of me, that part of me that just knew, wait a minute, hell no, get your ass back over here, right? That little whisper. Right. You came in and said, hey, check this out, you know, and then you just get, you just step into that. And now here we are having this podcast, right? Now I'm leading two classes, right? Right. And, and, these, and what's even interesting there is that the people that um, I'm facilitating for are double, triple my age. Yeah, that, that's been my story too. Right. Yeah. Okay, I lost you. It, it's really interesting, right? And are you there now? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So think about this. Like we, we got similar backgrounds, right? I grew up in Hispanic, Hispanic homes. Right. For whatever reason, I was in Washington, got sent to Arizona, right? And I took my course. I did whatever it was I did. And then boom, we're brought here, right? right. And part of me was scared when you said, hey, do you do podcasting, <laughs> right? But that little whisper said, a little whisper, that, that good feeling popped in, right? right? That good feeling popped in and said, what, take this direction, you know? And that's that same feeling when I was with the police, right? When they were trying to bait me into taking the hook. But I'm like, I'm no sucker fish. I ain't taking that bait. You ain't got the right bait on there, right? You right. know what I mean? I didn't buy into that shit because of whatever was helping me, right? That there was something protecting us growing up. And everybody has it. Right. But we were willing to be open enough to listen, because if I acted like my cousins acted in those situations, let me tell you, I would probably be in prison. Right. I would be locked up or dead. Yeah, I, I, I've had that conversation with so many times. Statistically, I could not be where I am right now, yeah, especially with your red do rag walking into like. <laughs> stores, right? You see what I'm saying? All it took was you to walk into the wrong neighborhood with that wrong color on your head and boom. Yeah. Didn't matter who you were or what you were, just because you were wearing red. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's 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 mind-boggling. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of um your life experience, intuitively, your life experience, spiritually, your life experience. Um what would you say has been, I don't know if it's the, one of the greatest lessons, but as you look back in, you know, the decisions that you've made, what would you say to folks who are struggling with making that, creating change so that what you said, be the change you want to see, right? It's, you know, one of the things we hear all of the time, but what does that really mean? What does that really mean, right? I, first off, I got to say, well, you're super amazing at this and you ask great questions <laughs> you know, I was like hopefully I could answer it just as well as you asked it <laughs> so um for me right you asked what was the greatest decision that I could have made or what is the say that again either the lessons are the lessons that you've learned or what if somebody is listening to this and that whole idea of you know let's say someone is I want to make a change in my life. I see the shit show that's happening around me. And, um, or you know how folks are like, I'm teetering in the idea of becoming spiritually aware or connecting with who I truly am. Even that, 
like, you know, wanting to change themselves and being reflective of the life experience that you have had, what would you say to somebody who's wanting to do that? Okay. Uh, uh, what I would say, because what I know now, right, is that the answer is always within you and how you feel, right? It's not out there. Um, people could give you their um, ideas or instructions on how or what and how they did it. But when it comes down to it, listen to you. It's mm -hmm. always in there. And in order to listen to yourself, people will ask, well, how do I listen to myself? Turn the TV off, right? Get away from your friends for a weekend, right? Put that bottle down. You know what I mean? Put those cigarettes away. Go sit quietly in a, in a space, right? Get, on, get away on a weekend by yourself, right? The idea is to have less stimulus coming in so then you can actually listen to yourself. You know, so for me, the best decision that I made for myself was retracting from people that were going nowhere, right? Or that that's not fair to say. They were going in a direction that I didn't see myself wanting to go in, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't good for my health, mentally, spiritually, physically, right? It wasn't part of my lifestyle, right? And so when I decided to take time and be more um, selective on who I hung out with, because that makes a difference. Think about it. If I still had the same friends that I had when I was in the neighborhood, I wouldn't be right here right now. You know what I mean? I traded in my 30, 25 year old friends for 75, 80, 90 year old friends that are spiritual, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've been to more 80 year old birthdays this year than to anybody under 50, right? But it's amazing. So it was taking the time to really distance myself from all the noise, right? And that's what it really took. It, it took time for me to be more alone so I could listen to more of me, right? Because I, I knew the direction I wanted to go. My heart was saying something, but my brain was telling me another, right? But we're so stimulated by so much stuff out there that our brains are overloaded. And if we don't turn our devices off, if we don't get away from our nagging friends and bitching friends, right? It, you don't have time to listen. So that was probably the most important thing that I did was separate myself, give myself time alone to process. You know, I think one of the things that happens, I know for women anyway, there's this perception, I guess that, that, or we create this image or this idea of who we should be in terms of the roles and responsibilities that we have. So it could be as a mother, it could be, you know, I think a hard thing for some folks is, you know, I'm going to school, I'm gonna get a degree, and then I decide when I'm done with the degree, that's not what I wanna do, but I spent all this money, so now I have to do it. So it's like, and, and, and it's also who I am to my, to my parents, who I am to my friends. It's like we create this persona, um, and this is ego-driven. We create this persona as we step into our experiences because we're seeking love, we're seeking connection, we're seeking approval. And when, and unfortunately as a, as a, as a um, side part to this is that we will often create the self-talk where we actually beat ourselves up because we weren't the perfect mom or the perfect daughter or we could we need to finish these things in order to accomplish this so i can get the house it's like we have all of this self-defeating um uh, language and and words that continue to be on autoplay in our minds so when you talk about going within i think the very first step to that is becoming aware 
that we beat ourselves up based on this persona or this perspective or the story that we are holding on to. That story and all of those things that go with it is ego driven. And ego, what Dr. Wayne Dyer used to say, is, is edging God out. And so edging God out is really anything that is not peace, love, and joy. Well, shit, if you haven't had peace, love, and joy in an authentic way, you're like chasing something that you haven't ha had the real experience of. And so the very first step, instead of trying to chase peace, love, and joy, it's to become aware of the self-defeating ideas and thoughts and start to release that, change that story change that and recognize that you have a choice about what you are saying to yourself what you're believing in and you have a choice as to how you're going to show up and what you said about i had to make a decision about the people that i'm around sometimes in my case anyway it's family i had to step away from my family and i had to say listen this is toxic and I love you all. I recognize where you're, where you're at and where I'm at. And we're just happen to be in two different places. This is not about judgment. This is not about me trying to be better than you all. It's not, my, it's not any of those things where I'm trying to um, somehow convey a message that, you know, I, I'm better than that. It's not that at all. It's that in terms of my own well-being and in order to be the truth of who I am, I need to establish some healthy boundaries healthy boundaries you know it's really interesting to think like when you want to do something for yourself people take it personally to them right oh, like it's about you it's about me but they make it about them you know so with all this being said and whatnot and making these decisions for ourselves and knowing that there's a lot of issues between authority and people without authority right what would be a message um, for the listeners out here on how to conduct themselves out in an authoritative world? Like, how can they see that different? How can they respond differently? What would be your advice to somebody looking to see um, authority in a different light and taking responsibility for why authority might be or might not be? You know, I, I go back and forth about this because I am in education or I have been in education for 30 years. And one of the things we would talk about is teaching children to be bicultural. And what I mean by that is that, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. You're at home and this is how we engage. This is what we talk about. This is how we talk. This is how, you know, my family, they, I learned how to cuss when I was three. I mean, like they literally taught me to say, fuck you, mija. And they it thought was it was funny. Hysterical. Right. It was hysterical. But you don't say that shit at school. Right. And so when you go to school, these are the things that you have to do in order to, you know, follow the rules and not get in trouble. So we teach children how to be bicultural. I'm not judging your home life. You got to do what you got to do because if you don't and we're going to talk about this in another podcast you, you trying to come up in here and act white you know th that do not come in with that shit right but at school you got to act white uh. and so you learn how to do that and we would call it something but now in the work that i'm doing i'm thinking you know what our systems are what's fucked up our system is fucked up and our, our, because it was built again on the dominant culture, on white power, right? And so we, people of color, have learned to adapt that and play nice so that we don't get killed, 
I mean, that's what it comes down to. So it's a hard question for me because am I going to teach my child, my black and brown child, how what happens if she gets pulled over or she gets um, accused like I have at a store? You know, because I think I mentioned to you, I had long curly hair. I used to wear a red do-rag or whatever color do-rag on my head. I Folks used to track me in the store thinking I was about to take some shit. And Hurry up so, and buy. I know. It's like crazy. And so my, if, you know, I'm going to teach my child, these are the these are the rules you have to play by. You just do because you are black and you are brown and it is what it is. So there's that, that and I hate that I have to do that. I shouldn't have to do that. That's the issue. But until our institutions and until we can really come to the truth of that we are standing on, you know, land that didn't belong to us, to get well to you because you're <laughs> you're half native, so it's part of yours. What's this <laughs> and then part of this was Mexico, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Yeah. But this, you know, this land was stolen, and so it's like all of these missed stories, these lies that have been that have been told. Until we can come to the truth, right, of what really happened, and then people will say who's truth. But still, the, the what it comes down to is, I think this is this is the healing that whether you believe that this is an illusion, whether you believe that you know this physical experience we're having we're having here is soul school, whatever you believe spiritually, we still collectively need to come to a place of healing. But until we can heal, we need to unearth the shit that has happened. That's my two cents. <laughs> oh, oh, dang, yeah, that, that, that was a doctor of the response. Thank you for that. <laughs> I need a little bit of time to really dissect that. <laughs> I, just joke it. I really love the way you um, explain things, right? It's all about like our perspective and being able to relay information over in a way that's um, ingestible to right. the community, right? right? And that's what's really amazing about these types of podcasts and things like this. So they can see two normal people coming right. together, having a conversation, right? That dialogue is opening up the platform to you, even though we see things a little bit differently, right? We don't always have to agree, but we're here to be able to give our point of views and what we experienced, right? And give people the opportunity to make decisions from themselves. And if they want to make new decisions, they could take what we said and apply them, right? Or if they want to continue around the same mother loving path, well, then don't change shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that comes to our end of episode two. Um, and let us know what your handle is again on Instagram. Uh, Mark underscore my underscore magnificence. So be, be sure to follow Mark on Instagram. I also have an Instagram, but go I don't remember what it is. <laughs> go to EstelaGarcia.com and all my handles are there for Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And um, right now I'm giving away, well, it depends on when you're listening to this, but I am giving away a free guide to um, finding peace that in the midst of chaos, there is a way to train yourselves to find and access peace that is within. So be sure to take a look at that. Yes, and also for me too, um, this June, I will be graduated from shaman school and I'll be giving, I'll be available for shamanic sessions, guys. And I am also coaching. My website will be up pretty soon. It's um, lightbrations.com, right? I'm still in the works and still doing things. I'm still trying to get that up and running. But the more and more we go through these podcasts, the more and more information we'll be able to give you guys so you'll be able to really connect with us on all kinds of platforms. 
Yeah, awesome. All right. Thank you all. Do you remember who you used to be? Remember who you used to be? Do you remember what you really are?